That's what branding is, is defining who you are. You don't necessarily have to be the best or the worst, but maybe you're the fastest, right? Or maybe you're the most convenient, but defining who you're going to be and how that delivers on your soul really has to be true to who you are because as an artist, the brand is you. Greetings, innovators, and welcome to Back of the Napkin, where we explore big journeys in the world of small business with the personalities who make it happen. And it's brought to you by Sure Payroll, where small business is their business. I'm Dusty Weiss, a small business owner from the Midwest, and joining me for season three is Karen Stoichoff from the Sure Payroll team. Karen, we're happy to have you on board. Thanks, Dusty. I'm honored to help showcase the ideas, grit, and ingenuity of the people who turn their dream to reality. And all because they aren't afraid to think differently. You know, I grew up in a family of small business owners, and I've owned a few myself. The spirit of small business runs deep, and it feels like entrepreneurship is in my DNA. Your uh, mom and dad owned a fine dining restaurant, right? They did, but my earliest memories of restaurant life come from my grandparents on my mom's side. They owned a very popular fine dining restaurant near Olympia Stadium, which was the former home of the Detroit Red Wings. This restaurant had a large wraparound bar and sports stars, TV, radio, and newspaper journalists, politicians, you name it. They used to pack that bar two and three deep, and I had quite the autograph collection when I was younger. That's really neat. But I understand that your dad's parents were entrepreneurs as well. Yes, and my uncles. My dad's parents owned service stations in a very popular neighborhood tavern. One uncle was a contract painter and the other uh, exceptionally successful attorney. And of course, I essentially grew up in my mom and dad's award-winning restaurant. Well, it sounds like you know a thing or two about small business, Karen. That I do. And so do the guests we will feature on this season of Back of the Napkin. Ready to meet one? Absolutely. But before we dive into the episode, we would love it if you took a moment and followed Back of the Napkin in your favorite podcast app. New episodes are coming out every couple of weeks or so, and we want them to pop up in the top of your podcast feed. But you've got to hit that subscribe button to make it happen. And if you enjoy the program, we'd appreciate a five star rating or a review. Your comments are most welcomed. Turning now to today's guest, Kelly O'Neill started Fusion of Iron and Earth after the death of her father, someone she describes as a renaissance man, a man always exploring new creative expressions from photography to candle making. He later found his true calling as a potter. But before she started her small business, Kelly was a marketing leader at General Motors, working in the Chevrolet division. Her journey from high-powered executive to humble craftswoman in a male-dominated field is something that's really special. It really is. And the crossover from working from one of the largest corporations in the world to starting a small business from little more than clay, scrap metal, sheer determination, and that passion to honor her father's legacy, it's inspiring. There's definitely a lot to unpack and learn from here. So Kelly O'Neill from Fusion of Iron and Earth in Michigan, thanks for joining us on Back of the Napkin. Well, thanks for having me. You make me sound so, I don't know, special. <laughs> Well, it is a really neat story. And when you were a kid, did you ever dream that you would go from watching your dad throw pots in his studio at your childhood home to following in his footsteps someday as an award-winning artist? No, actually not, Dusty. I was raised in that era of the 1970s where it was women were about coming of age and making their mark in the world of corporate America. And I was the first to graduate from college in my family. So 
I had expectations put upon me to get a degree, get a corporate job, be successful in what was defined as success back in the 70s and 80s. So I never thought I'd be a independent business person. So it was a surprise to myself even that this was the path that my life took. So having sort of started off in that corporate field and really done some pretty remarkable things then, what was the genesis of Fusion of Iron and Earth? Well, the story starts, as Karen mentioned, my father, he was actually an independent businessman. He was in home improvements, but he had a hobby that grew into a business itself as a potter. And he used to do the art fairs. And I even took a pottery class with him in the early 80s. I always looked up to him for his just ability to master anything and everything. And he would display his pots beautifully. But from a competitive point of view, his pots looked similar to everyone else's pots that he was selling against. And I wanted to differentiate his art. So I suggested that I take a welding course and create holders or stands for his pots. And we talked about it for years, almost a decade. So that's kind of the genesis of how I started to move into the metal work. I enrolled in a welding course and learned the basic skills of welding and was planning to do a show with my father. Unfortunately, he was diagnosed with lung cancer and oh. passed away before we ever had a chance to do a show together. So when he passed, he was very much a prolific potter. So he had pottery in every stage. He had greenware, bisqueware, and uh, I told my mom that I would finish his work. So I was spending weekends in his studio glazing and firing the rest of his work. Meanwhile, I was kind of starting to do my own clay work, as well as still building stands for his work and my own metal work. And my mom said to me one Saturday, she says, you know, honey, I just feel dad's spirit here. And we both had a good cry over it. But it was that genesis, as you say, that drove my mom's suggestion that we do an art fair together. And so she contacted the local art show here in Farmington. And my dad had been an artist in that show for over a decade. And they loved him. And she called up and she told him that, you know, my dad, Denny, had died and that I had taken up his work. And she asked if I could be in the show. Now, normally, fine art fairs won't allow someone else to sell someone else's work. The artist has to be there. But they made an exception because they love my dad. And I had such a great experience, such wonderful feedback. Even the professor at Oakland Community College stopped by to give me his support. It was wonderful. I guess that's the beginning of the story. And I haven't stopped since. So your mom encouraged you to finish your dad's work, you know, dozens and dozens of projects and pounds of clay. And then you did the first show, which was Art on the Grand, correct, in Farmington Hills? That's correct, and, yes. And what did it mean to you to do your dad's favorite show in your hometown with your dad's community basically there to support you and hold you up and really ease your transition into sort of this new world that you'd been dabbling in, but now it was quickly becoming your world? It truly is a serendipitous story in the sense that I was very lucky 
to have that parachute, if you will. Unlike anyone else starting a new business, I already had an established clientele, if you will. I already had an established network of professionals to support me, all the people at the arts department in Farmington. I had all of the equipment from my dad's art tent. And so it was an easy entry for me, not to mention my family's support. And in a sense, it was a memorial. In addition to my first art fair and my entrance into the world as an artist, it was also a memorial to my father. As you were beginning to sort of find yourself and find your new calling in the world of art, what made you realize that this was going to be your new purpose in life, that you were going to leave a very successful position that you had established in the corporate worlds and become a small business owner and a creator? Good question. It wasn't planned. I was doing all of it. I was being an artist on the weekend. I was working a ridiculously busy corporate job. I was a hockey manager for my son. I was on the board of directors of the Hockey Association. I was volunteering at other nonprofits. I had a very busy, full life. And I'm exhausted just listening to all of that. Seriously. <laughs> um, you know how momentum is such that, you know, as long as you keep moving, the energy kind of feeds itself. That was my life. It was very much like that. But it got to a point where I was getting more joy out of doing my own thing. And there's something to be said. I think the big difference between a corporate job and being your own boss is you make the decisions. You decide what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. When you're working in the corporate world, you're always selling. You're always compromising. It's one step forward, two steps back because of just corporate bureaucracy. And, you know, I had been doing it for 34 years and I still loved my job. I still loved what I was doing. I still today miss all the people I worked with, but I found more joy and more personal satisfaction out of building my own business as an artist. And honestly, we talked to my financial advisor and I had enough of a nest egg that I could take the leap. And so I took the leap. And I quit. I've recently taken that leap myself here. And I can say from experience, that's a scary experience. Not only that, but there's certainly a really steep learning curve going from the world of corporate business to the world of a small business owner. How did you deal with that transition? Well, again, let's say I had a little bit of an unfair advantage. Part of my experience working for General Motors is I used to be in sales and my responsibility was to call on car dealerships. They too are a business and have to run a business, in many cases, a family business. So I learned the ins and outs of what it takes and how important cash flow is and income and profitability and expenses. And I learned about how to balance all of that. So I applied many of those skills to my own business. So it was an easier transition than you think, because I kind of had that experience from a very small dealer out in the middle of the Sierra Mountains in Northern California to, let's say, a large dealer in Tampa, Florida. So I had the experience of dealing with all different size businesses. That helped the transition. 
You've also said connecting to your dad's artistic community eased that transition from your corporate work to that of a working artist and traveling the show circuit. Could you tell us a little bit about how that happened and why establishing a community is so very important for a small business owner? That's a good question, too. Let me answer that in two ways. First, my dad had such a strong brand. His name was Dennis O'Neill. And when I came into the market, I was Kelly O'Neill. And keep in mind, I was still selling his pots with my stands. So a lot of his clientele and other artists recognized his work and recognized the name. So they immediately embraced me. So I was, in a sense, inheriting his business or, in a sense, extending his brand into a new medium. And that helped a lot. And secondly, I naturally am curious in knowing that I was entering a new world of art. And again, using my experience in the corporate world, research, 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 I needed to know what was the industry? How do people sell their art? What are the margins that people sell their art for? What are the ins and outs of success? So I did a lot of research and interviews and the community of artists is a welcoming community. Naturally, they're creative and they're independent, but they love to share their stories and their experiences. So I had an open invitation to learn from them. And that's what I did, not to mention joining as many artist groups and forums as I could. So, And before you knew it, you're part of an artistic legacy and you are now setting the course for a future legacy, right? Because you don't know, maybe your son will move from music to art. Right. It's a form of art. Do you feel any particular pressure to replicate your dad's success? The only pressure I feel is my own truth. And truly exploring what I can be and what I can create. It's more of an inner journey, an internal journey. Creativity, everyone's creative. And when you allow that to be dormant for so many years, it takes a while to exercise it and to be comfortable with your creativity and have that confidence to create the art with no inhibition. And that is, I think, my journey. It's purely personal. So my success is based on that, not necessarily based on external success. It's more of an internal journey for me. Speaking of the artistic journey here, we've talked a little bit about how you started welding these stands for your dad's pottery, but how did your artistic expression in the medium of metal and welding evolve as time went by? What kind of art are you making? Well, it's interesting because I think defining what type of artist you want to be is important. And I knew that in addition to obviously starting with my dad's stands, I wanted to be respectful of the environment. I wanted to help the environment in the sense by reusing metal that was destination was a landfill or someone's garage or backyard. I wanted to provide another purpose for it. And so my aesthetic is 100% recycled metal. I have only purchased metal when I had a commission for something and they had a particular requirement that I couldn't find. That creates some complications and it creates a lot of work on my part because when you find metal, it's usually not in the best shape. It's, you know, rusty and it's dirty. And so there's a lot of prep work that goes into that. My life would be easier 
if I just purchased the metal. But I, <laughs> I think aesthetically, I think it was important for me to tell a story of taking something that perhaps was designed for some utility and reforming it or reshaping it or adding something to it to create more of an art form. That defines who I am as an artist. Maybe I'm reaching too far here into the meaning behind the art, but it does really seem to tie very strongly to your career in the auto industry and sort of the rust belt rebirth that's gone on here in the Midwest as well. That's true. It's interesting. When I first started, everyone wanted to give me their brake rotors. So I have a bunch of brake rotors. They make great bases for outdoor garden pieces. And I can tell you, having recognizable pieces of metal in your work is fun. People will notice that first. They're excited if they see something that they recognize. So, and I did a lot of that when I first started, but I kind of felt that honestly, that restricted my creativity in the sense that I wasn't pushing it far enough. If I was just taking a gear or something and incorporating that into the piece, I needed to repurpose that gear so it didn't look like a gear. That's how my art has evolved. A little farther away from repurposing like automotive parts and welding them together to create a new form to literally creating more original forms. So your art has evolved. And now you're a volunteer at the Mint Artists Guild, where you help nurture young aspiring artists through arts, education, and enrichment. And that seems like a continuation of your artistic journey. And so why is that volunteerism important to you? And how does it support your mission as an artist? I'm so glad you brought that up. It's another passion of mine. I met Vicki Elmer, who is the co-founder of Mint. She was in a tent across from me at Funky Ferndale about three years ago. And in her tent, she had three or four artists selling their art and she was selling some greeting cards. And, you know, we started a conversation and she talked about what she's doing and she's helping young Detroit teens who have like a proclivity for art. They have some natural talent who don't necessarily have the money or the means or the contacts to be a successful artist. And she's providing that through giving them entrepreneurial skills and business skills and life skills, as well as art skills, and then providing them a forum and a network in which they can sell and share their art. There's just a part of me that even in the corporate world, one thing that's truly satisfied me was helping others succeed. I don't know why, but I just found that to be very satisfying. And I was able to take that desire to continue to do that and apply that to Mint Artist Guild. So I've been working with them for three years now and I help them with their marketing. I help them with their training. I'll do presentation skill courses. We'll talk about branding and how to brand themselves as an artist. So I do training for that too. It just fulfills another passion point of mine. And I don't know, I've never felt so satisfied as a human being in the sense that I'm helping others that hopefully will be successful too. Yeah, it's a really cool story to hear. And certainly in my own experience as well, mentoring is not only a great way to give back to the community that's nurtured you as a professional, but it's sort of a new way to find value in what you do. And from my perspective, it's a great way to help yourself think young 
and break out of any ruts that you might be in. So we want to pick up on that theme that you mentioned of building a personal brand in just a moment. We're going to continue this conversation with Kelly O'Neill from Fusion of Iron and Earth. But first, we're going to check in with Holly Wade, Executive Director of the National Federation of Independent Business with the Sure Payroll Main Street Minute. Holly, thanks for joining us. You know, we've been hearing a lot in the news lately about the Employee Retention Tax Credit. What do we need to know? So the Employee Retention Tax Credit was established early last year to help struggling employer businesses during the pandemic. It didn't receive much attention initially because eligibility excluded those businesses participating in the Paycheck Protection Program. But due to recent legislative changes, eligibility is now expanded and the actual credit is more generous. So what is the credit exactly and who qualifies? The Employee Retention Tax Credit is a refundable, advanceable tax credit of up to $5,000 per employee in 2020 and up to $7,000 per employee per quarter in 2021. Employers claim the tax credit by withholding payroll taxes for qualified employee wages or by amending prior payroll taxes by submitting the 941X form. So in a nutshell, if business is down from what it was in 2019, it's probably worth checking to see if you qualify. How do we do that? Absolutely. So the credit can be a bit complicated. So NFIB strongly suggests working with an accountant, a CPA or bookkeeper who's familiar with the terms and conditions of the credit and can help you navigate through the program. Well, that's fantastic advice. Thank you, Holly. That's Holly Wade, Executive Director of the National Federation of Independent Business with the Sure Payroll Main Street Minute. This is Sure Payroll's Back of the Napkin podcast, where entrepreneurs share the stories of their big journeys in small business. I'm Karen Stoichoff. And I'm Dusty Weiss. And we're talking to Kelly O'Neill, artist and owner of Fusion of Iron and Earth in Michigan. And Kelly, you talk about the importance of the moments of truth in the automobile industry and how they translate into running a small business. Can you tell us a little bit more and extrapolate on that? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was working for Chevrolet and we were trying to build our customer loyalty, we wanted to understand the moments of truth. People call them different things, but at the time it was moments of truth of what mattered to that customer. So for example, in the service drive, it was how they were approached by the service advisor or how they were treated, uh, where they had to wait for their car and so forth. And so understanding the importance of paying attention to what's important to your clients I applied that to my artwork as well. But more importantly, I applied those moments of truth to me as an artist to make sure that I was delivering on what I thought was important. Because I think in many cases, especially artists, it's easy to be what other people want you to be. So I'll give you a good example. People love art that looks like animals, flies and dragonflies and birds and so forth. But that's just not my aesthetic. And honestly, I don't find a lot of joy in making those type of items. So my moment of truth was defining that my art is abstract and I'm going to be true to that aesthetic. 
knowing who your tribe is or who your client is or who appreciates your style or your aesthetic is also an important part. Not everyone is going to love what you do, and that is okay. I've had people in my booth where the wife, the artist speaking to her, where she takes a deep inhale like, <gasps> and then the husband's like, that's stupid. So <laughs> I like art that looks like the thing it's supposed to look like. Right, right. And that's perfectly okay. And there are exceptional artists that do that. But that wasn't my joy. That wasn't my brand. So the moment of truth for me was is really defining who I wanted to be as an artist. And then also really understanding what success was going to look like. Everyone will tell you what you should do. So I hear this a lot. You know what you should do. And I think every small business hears that, whether I'm a baker or I sell shoes, someone's going to tell me, you know what you should do. And I hear that all the time. And I'm always appreciative of the feedback because it just says they're investing in me as an artist and they want to help. And I'm okay with that. You never know. I might get a nice nugget that I could use, but I always stay true to who I am. And I always make sure that what I'm doing is differentiated from what other artists are doing. And that's that's also part of my successful journey. And many artists will copy other artists. And I know it's the finest form of flattery, but it's kind of a no-no in the art world, right? So I always make sure that my work is differentiated. And that's one of the reasons I stay true to recycled metal. I know that that is an important part of my aesthetic. It's an important part of my story and what I want to be as an artist and as a human being. So I stay true to that too. You know, Kelly, a lot of what you just referenced in that line of conversation was really about branding. You talked about differentiation. You talked about being true. You talked about being honest, having integrity. Does a small business need a brand? And what does that even mean to a small business? You know, that's my DNA. Honestly, I, from the very beginning of my career, even through college, branding and understanding the science and the art of building a brand was really important to me because it has so much to do with who we are as human beings, as a society, right? Brands are used in so many different ways. And as an artist or even as a small business, it shortcuts who you are and what you want to mean to that client or that customer or your tribe. So I used to use the example in General Motors when I would teach branding courses. And I would say, is McDonald's make a great hamburger? And people would say, no. I said, well, but you still go to McDonald's. Why do you go to McDonald's? And they say, because I know what I'm going to get. That's what branding is, is defining who you are. You don't necessarily have to be the best or the worst, but maybe you're the fastest, right? Or maybe you're the most convenient. Maybe you're the most unique, or maybe you provide the best customer service. But defining who you're going to be and how that delivers on your soul, especially as an artist, it really has to be true to who you are because as an artist, the brand is you. You might want to differentiate your product that you create from you as a person, but the best artists, their art is an extension of them as a person. You know, Hemingway is a perfect example. If you read about who he was as a man and you read his stories, you see that they're hard to really separate. His work was who he was. And the best artists, that's kind of the truth there. So Branding is really important, and I always recommend to new artists and even new businesses 
to take time to identify what your brand identity is and determine how you are going to carve out that identity that's different from other brands in the same category. I think one of the things I love about your telling on all the elements of your career to date and your journey is the honesty and the best brands truly are brands that are honest to themselves and they're honest to their customer base and they establish a promise to the marketplace and then they fulfill that promise in everything they do. So what I hear you say all through our conversation today is that you've made a promise to yourself and you've made a promise to the people that you're delivering your art to and now that you're mentoring. And it's just such a great connection for me. It's really something special, I think. Not only that, but the way that you stress authenticity as a key plank in the brand building platform really speaks to me because, I mean, we all have some experience in the world of marketing and we've all learned one way or another that customers and the public writ large will sniff you out instantly if you are being phony in any way as a brand. And the results of that, I mean, Log on to Twitter sometime and see brands behaving badly as a subthread there. It's not pretty. So it's really cool to hear about how you've stayed true to yourself and turned it into a profitable business. But you've said before in the past that you've also never been afraid to be successful. What do you mean by that? And where do you go about getting that level of confidence to start a small business? That's also, I think, part of my DNA and how I was raised is... I have failed more than I have succeeded in life. And even when I was at General Motors, I encouraged failure because if you aren't failing, if you aren't messing up, if you're not getting in trouble, if you're not trying new things, you're not growing, you're not pushing, you're not leading, you're not inventing, especially in the world of General Motors, very highly competitive, fear is the death of any business fear of failure, fear of challenges. And the opposite of that is just outright confidence and looking at the journey of trying something new as the reward. It's not whether you succeed or you don't succeed. Was the journey a success? Did you learn something from that journey? And how do you apply it to your next challenge? And I always made that really important in my career at General Motors, but I also make it really important to the young artists because they are young and they're going to hear more no's or they're going to experience more rejection at the beginning of being an artist and establishing a career than a normal person would or in any new business. So you have to instill in them that it's the journey that you put your confidence in that. And whether you succeed or fail doesn't matter. It's the journey that is important. Well, and we're certainly going to learn a little bit more about some of your failures along the line in a couple of weeks when we have you on our Friday Fails segment. But last question here for you as you get set to head back out to the shop today. What is your vision for the future of Fusion of Iron and Earth? That's a great question. So here's one of my life philosophies. I always say yes. And I think that's why I continue to evolve as an artist. I think the confidence comes from not being afraid to fail. And therefore, when I'm asked to do something, I say, yes, whether I know how to do it or not, I will figure it out. And it's that process of 
learning something new or trying something new or expanding my art into a different area. That's how I've been growing. So I guess that's what's next for Fusion is to be open to new ideas, to people offering to partner with me. A perfect example, I just got admitted into Art Prize. First time I've done that. Very excited about that. I just got a commission for a very large stainless steel sculpture that I've never done before. So I'm always looking to learn something new, try something new, experience something new. So the answer, Dusty, is I don't know what's next, but I know I'm going to say yes. Kelly, you offered so many great insights, and I especially appreciated what you had to say about skill, gift, passion, and branding, that those start as a beginning. But to be truly successful, you need to understand the moments of truth of your business. Kelly O'Neill from Fusion of Iron and Earth in Michigan, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Back of the Napkin. Thanks for having me. You know, Dusty, Kelly just won an artist award at the Royal Oak Artist Show, and that was one that I really wish I could have gotten to, but unfortunately I was booked. Her art is quite spectacular, and I have an eye on a couple pieces for my backyard. Nice. You know, it really is. And for the folks who are listening to this show, for the full experience, you should check out the Sure Payroll YouTube channel. We'll intercut some of the uh, video that she sent us as well, so you can get a feel for the kind of work that she does. Or you can visit fusionofironandearth.com. That's her website. We'll put the link in the episode description. But that is all that we have for this episode of Back of the Napkin, where we explore big journeys in the world of small business with the personalities who make it happen. Please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app and be sure to leave us a five-star rating or drop us a review. And we'd also love to hear your suggestions for small business owners we should invite to appear on Back of the Napkin. Back of the Napkin is brought to you by Sure Payroll. From easy online payroll to 401k support and award-winning customer service, Sure Payroll has been serving the payroll and business needs of small businesses for more than 20 years. Learn more at surepayroll.com and get two months free as a new customer. Thanks to my co-host and our executive producer, Karen Stoichoff. And thanks to the head of Sure Payroll Marketing, Jenna Schlaer, as well as our production partners, PodCamp Media where we provide branded podcast production services for businesses. Our editor and producer is Larry Kilgore III. So thanks for tuning in to Back of the Napkin. I'm Dusty Weiss. And I'm Karen Stoichoff.